Hello, good evening and welcome back to another live edition of The Social Club brought to you by tvsportsblog.com. Hello, good evening. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast brought to you by AMS Media. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Sibiu, and uh, thank you for joining us for another edition of The Social Club, the show in which we talk about a variety of subjects from the English game, as well as touch on uh, some of the hot topics surrounding Arsenal as well. Uh, Big hello to everybody who's watching us live at the moment. Get your questions in, get your comments in, in the live chat, and we'll come to as many of those as possible throughout the broadcast. And of course, a big hello to those of you watching or listening back to the show later on. Joining me as usual are my wonderful panel. Uh, First of all, welcome back, Mr. Simon Alavi. You good? How are you? Not bad, my friend. How are you keeping? Yeah, thank you. Look, look nice and relaxed there. I'm slightly envious. I'm sitting on an uncomfortable chair. <laughs> also, a big welcome back to the one and only Dan DeLuca. How you doing, mate? Welcome back. Yeah, I'm all right, Harry. How are you? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Cracking on, you know, how it is keeping busy uh, as we do. Right. It's the Social Club. We're back and we're going to be talking about a variety of subjects. First of all, this week, we're going to start on the relegation zone now of course it's a huge huge weekend uh coming up for those involved in the uh, relegation battle um of course norwich are down uh, you've got bournemouth aston villa all with a fighting chance still uh, more so aston villa actually of of getting out of the bottom three because villa and watford of course have only played 36 games each whereas bournemouth have played 37 let me share the Premier League table with you all on your screens for those of you watching us on YouTube. And I want to get the thoughts of the guys in terms of who they believe will avoid the drop. Uh, starting with you, Deluca, how do you see this playing out? Of course, as I've said, um, Norwich have gone. Bournemouth still have a chance. Villa have a <coughs> chance. Um, Watford suffered a really damaging defeat, p- potentially, I guess, at West Ham the other night. How do you see this playing out? It's... Um... The goal difference is really tight. Normally, you look at it at this stage and you, you're you talking about weird sort of swings, but Watford have got Manchester City and Arsenal. Even a 2-0 defeat each gets them basically relegated if the other team can just win a game. But before the season started, being the genius as I am, um, I did tip Bournemouth to get relegated out of them out of nowhere while people forgot they were a mid-table club. So I'm going to stick with Bournemouth um, and I'll quite smugly um, congratulate myself when they go down. Aston Villa, obviously, you know, they've got they've got two games, haven't they? Um, you wonder whether with Arsenal in the FA Cup, whether that might just take the attention away and they can steal a point there. But are they are they gonna are they gonna win a game? Um, I'm gonna go for I'm gonna go for Aston Villa to escape and Watford oh. to get sucked in. Um, I like an underdog. I like a bit of a punt. So I just look at that and I see Watford have got two games they should lose. Um, which take the goal difference out of play. So really, I'm back in Aston Villa to win one football match out of two. Um, so I'm going to say Aston Villa yeah. are going to claw. Are they going to claw their way out of it? Well, of course, Aston Villa take on Arsenal, as you've said. They've got West Ham um, there, haven't they? Last game. Villa. Yeah, yeah, they have. And of course, um, Watford. They play Manchester City and then Arsenal uh, on the last game as well. Alavi, how do you see this playing out? It's, 
it, it could have been tighter, really, couldn't it? There's that there's that little bit of a buffer between Villa and Watford at the moment. I I'm not sure. I mean, I know it's only three points and there's two games to go for those two sides, but I think you've so, got to back yeah. DDL's right and yeah. What you, you reckon you no, I see I think I think Villa will go down. I think But I, I don't know, I, based on the fixtures, I'm I'm I just so, think it's in their favour. I know what you mean, and if you look at pure if you look at pure games they should win, you would look at those games and you go, Okay, Watford are gonna lose to City, Watford are gonna lose to Arsenal. And when you look at Villa and you go, Villa are gonna lose to Arsenal, but they should be able to to beat um West Ham. You would expect that the two games Watford play and lose sequentially means that they would um they would be of a goal difference of you know minus four and and that would be eradicated so yeah it would appear that, just, me, so the question becomes then the question becomes are villa going to beat west ham by more than they lose to Arsenal? so so this is it so it all yeah. comes down to well it comes down to two things how badly first of all do watford lose those two games if they do lose them because if they lose two if they lose one nil each then it could become very tight. The second is, do Villa definitely, definitely, definitely beat West Ham? You, the, this is a really me, weird. And for me, the, the, the big thing, though, as a as a, as a um, someone who gambles, Dan, is you can get three to one on Watford and, right now. And to go down. Big, to go down. Yeah, and that is big. Um, so, but I'm going to put my neck on the line, and I'm <coughs> going to say that Watford stay up. And I think the two, as they are, will stay there. And I've just got a sneaky feeling that Watford will get something out of one of the two games, because this always happens in football. Something that isn't meant to happen will happen, which is one of Villa won't win the one game they should win against West Ham, or Watford will not get Watford, sorry, will not get beaten by both City and Arsenal. Something will happen. One of them will fill the weak team. There'll be an injury. There'll be rest of players for their cup. City might even have the Champions League to start to think about. So I'm going to go for that three to stay as it is. But if you genuinely fancy Watford to go down DDL, then I'd be looking at those. Yeah, I think and... there's two things here. Like, so I, I I like a punt, as you know, and I want Bournemouth to go down because I tipped them pre-season where they would have been long, long odds. And that's like that's another one in a long line of my absolutely genius predictions that span back at least several seasons so i want bournemouth to go down it looks like they will after what watford have done to nigel pearson even though it's not that bad really but i'll we'll get onto it later no doubt i kind of want watford to go down as well it's a weird situation here where i think aston villa they would prefer one game instead of two you know it's like we'll win our one game one nil and then we need watford to lose four nil which is feasible in a weird sort of way to add to that point, let's say Aston Villa get a point off of Arsenal, just for the sake of argument. And mm. I know people listening to the show, uh, you know, are going to be, you know, thinking I'm on the wind up. But as a sake of argument, let's say Villa get a point at home to Arsenal, which isn't inconceivable. Arteta surely in the last game against Watford then would completely rest his team because he'd have nothing else to play for in the league. That would be done. There'll be no finishing seventh because they'd have dropped those points. So then he's going to completely rest his players ahead of the FA Cup final. Exactly. So it almost it almost screws Villa up in that way. So all the signs say that you know Villa are, Villa are gone and a psychological blow 
of losing that late goal to Everton, which probably would have made them favourites to stay up. Um, but I really want Villa to stay up. Um, I really want Watford to go down. So that's a good enough reason for me. What Here's... better way to start a debate than just you know going straight with the heart? That's it. Well, the thing is, isn't it? It's interesting because it comes back to that old debate and we've seen it in title races and races for the top four in the past. It's would you rather have the points or the games to play? And in this situation, uh, you know, Aston Villa... Well, they've got the same, it's the same. It's, they've got the same... It's not no, that. But, it's it's yeah, who Bournemouth, they're playing, essentially. Yeah, but Bournemouth have only got one game left. Bournemouth have yeah, sorry, but between, between Villa... Oh, I think Bournemouth are down, surely. Yeah, I, I, think, I think they're probably... But between Villa and Watford, it's essentially points against who you're playing, isn't it? Yeah, and, and like you said, though, you, you can't rule out something you know, unprecedented mm. happening, like Watford mm. picking up points against Arsenal or against Manchester City. You know, there's there's so much uh, to factor in here. Um, le- that brings us on nicely to what's actually gone on at Watford, because, of course, Nigel Pearson has been sacked with two games to go. It came after, of course, Watford were beaten uh, at the London Stadium by West Ham United. It was a game that I commentated on, actually, and it was a game that, you know, at half-time, couldn't understand how West Ham was so far ahead because they didn't actually play that well. They just had certain moments and they took their chances uh, and all of a sudden Watford were in were in the shit basically and had it all to do. I think it was probably a little bit harsh on Pearson if the reason they've sacked him is because of that result. Um, you know, it's clearly had a big bearing on it because he was in the job until that result came up and they haven't decided to pull the trigger earlier. But Dan, you know, you have spoken about the Pozzo family on shows in the past. Normally, they do get it right, to be fair to them. And as a, if you were a Watford fan now, how would you be looking at this? Would you be feeling an injustice for Nigel Pearson? Or would you be looking at this and thinking, well, actually, they've served us quite well in terms of what they've done. Let's just trust in the process. I think it depends on, it depends on the morals, doesn't it? I mean, Watford have been promoted couple of years ago, three years ago, they've, they've had good seasons, they've attracted a couple of decent managers, they've had they've had good managers, and they've got rid of them, every time they've got rid of them, it's premature, so if, if you're a Watford fan, at this point, you just want to stay up, but but if you stay up, what's going to happen next year, every time they lose five games, they're going to sack a manager, they're never going to achieve any kind of stability that gets them away from this position, if they carry on operating in this way, Um I don't feel the situation is desperate and I don't I don't see what they're trying to achieve because if you look at that last performance like you discussed, that wasn't a performance where I'd say the team played badly. It wasn't a performance where I didn't think the team were playing for the manager because they come out in the second half and they put on a really good show and tried to try to claw their way back into a game which was a which was a lost cause, you know, and they, they tried to they played really well in the second half. So they were fighting for the manager. And it wasn't even a situation where the manager was wasn't brave enough to make decisions because, you know, he he ripped two players off the pitch at half time and replaced them and did something different. So there was nothing in that game that says you should you, you should sack him. And actually, he was bought in to keep them up. They were adrift. He's basically kept them up. So what what were they expecting him to do? They would when they sacked their last manager. They've sacked so many. I can't remember who it was. Who was the last manager? Now was it was it, was it uh, Laurie Flores? Oh. It was Garcia first. They sacked him after four games, didn't they? Having reached an FA Cup final. 
Then they brought Flores back, and after 10 games, they binned him off. So they brought Pearson to keep him up. He's basically achieved that. So I could understand partly they sacked him and brought in, I don't know, Sam Allardyce for two games. But they've replaced him with Hayden Mullins. So Yeah, but that's only for two games, though. Yeah, but that's that's the only reason they're getting rid of him is for these but two they've games. Said this is, no, 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 they've said <coughs> this. Yeah, but they've said this is not a long term. Yeah, no, no, this but what I mean is Nigel Pearson's the manager. His contract was only till the end of the season anyway. So essentially, they were gonna at the end of the season, they were probably going to bin him off whatever they wanted from manager. Okay. So what they're basically saying is we're going to get rid of you because we're so sure we're going down if we don't change it. So to get the point we need in one of those two games or the three points we need in one of those two games, we're going to go to Hayden Mullins. Well, who's worked that out? I've heard that there's been a falling. There was an argument the day after the West Ham game. Okay. And, okay, and it's and it's an interesting point you made about the um, tactical changes he made against West Ham because I agree he did. The one thing that a few fans have occasionally said about Pearson is that he he is rigid. He doesn't make too many changes to the game during the game. He doesn't adapt to shape. He stays with certain players and backs them completely. And this is something that, uh, and I rarely, rarely praise a match of a day pundit, but there's something Tim Cahill said on match of a day too. And he said that when a, a chairman brings a manager in, they have what's called a mandate in their mind, i.e. this manager is for helping me avoid relegation. This manager is for helping me build a club, play attractive football and go into the top 10, etc., etc. And he thinks that Nigel Pearson has filled his mandate, which to establish them and avoid relegation. And that in their eyes, they've already avoided relegation. And that argument just... To, yeah, but know, then to, why not just wait the two games? Think that. Correct. Wait the two so games. Contract so, so I think so. But I then think what, the argument must have tipped that. So I don't know if he wants to give time for someone to come in a bit more time. I don't know. I, I really don't. But if you look at replacements, they're looking at Harry's mate at Brentford. Um, they're looking at the Croatia uh, manager. You know, they're looking at um, Steven Gerrard possibly. Who's favourite? Former. Uh, <coughs> Former Spurs and Newcastle guy. Um, Chris Hughton. Chris Hughton, Chris Chris that's the one. He's so, favourite. Like, Chris, Chris Hughton. They're, 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 they're not like pulling up trees. That these players. If like, you were Steve Gerrard, would you go there? Harry mentioned the no. fans. Right? Harry mentioned how the fans feel. No. Watford are at the bottom of the division, have been for all season. They were struggling at the back end of last year. They had a cup run that distracted them. Those two things sometimes go in hand in hand. You go on a good cup run, you league form suffers. Fair enough. So to address that, they're going to need new players. If you are a prospective player who would who has the choice of joining Watford or another similar club, are you going to join Watford where no. in eight games' time, the manager who signs you is probably not going to be there. Ten days, ten games after that, it's another manager who might not fancy me. And now I'm, I'm a foreigner who's coming from another league, living in a, another town. And the manager who's brought me to the club isn't going to be there, and who knows? But that's fine. If, but that's but, fine, Dan. If you're Steve Gerrard, but if you're Toral, say former Valencia and Villarreal manager, you don't really care if you go there. You don't get it right after ten games. The, 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 thing the, culture is, there, guys, the, the thing is, guys, is that when you look at Watford as a football club, you know a lot of people criticise the the way they've acted in terms of their managers, but they have been punching above their weight. I know this season's <laughs> not been great, but they have as a football club in the last few years, I would say, been punching above their weight. And so it's whilst we can 
say that we have sympathy for Nigel Pearson and we have sympathy for some of the other managers that have lost their jobs along the way. Actually, if you take sort of the emotion and the morals out of it and you just look at as the business model of Watford achieved what they needed to, i.e. stayed in the Premier League for a period of time, yeah. then, you know, you could argue they're a championship-sized club, Watford. and they, So they are, to a degree, getting it right. But it's just this whole approach, isn't it, that yeah. makes people feel uneasy at the way they operate. Do you think, think um, until they go down, they've got it wrong. So they're not yeah, wrong think, until yeah. they go down. The problem is, though, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's unsustainable what they're doing because now they're going to struggle to attract players at some point. Um, you know, there's an argument. You look at the five teams we're talking about there. Um, that you know, let's throw throw West Ham into the mix, yeah. So you got Watford, West Ham, and the current bottom three. The two who are probably going to stay up, even though I tip Watford to go down, but the two who are probably going to stay up are the two who change their manager, and the three who have gone down are the three who isn't. So there is a case if you're in the bottom, you change your manager to to freshen things up and try and get a reaction. Well, Watford have done that. It didn't work. They've done it again. It has worked, and they've been in him off two games early anyway. And I just, there's going to come a point where they're not going to attract the players they need to get them out of the shit. They're not going to attract the man. Or, they, or they'll bring in a, a, you know, a mercenary of a manager who turns up for a payday. You know, it'll work a little bit. But it's, it's unsustainable because sooner or later you need players. And why would you join Watford? Well, I guess while they're in the Premier League, they're offering competitive salaries, aren't they? Let's just uh, take a pause a second and go over to some of our live uh, audience. And I've got an interesting question actually coming through from Callum Ferguson, which I want to put to you guys as well. Let's just quickly have a look at the Nigel Pearson comments. Uh, Kev O'Sullivan on Twitter says, I hope Pearson protected himself financially at the beginning. If you're Saar or Decore looking at this, wouldn't you want to move for stability? Uh, Omar says, Watford have a disgusting board. They deserve to go down. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, Archangel says, Watford are a horrible, pointless club. Uh, Marble Halls TV says, Watford is the same size as Palace. Palace are seemingly stable in the Premier League. I would actually argue that Palace are bigger um, than Watford in terms of their fan base, for sure. Uh I'm not sure how to pronounce this one. SHFA TADS says, I've got no sympathy for Watford. Agree they are a championship side. And St. Colombo says the Watford owners need sacking. So there's plenty of sort of fighting, I guess, in, in Nigel Pearson's corner about this. But this brings me on to an interesting question that we've had uh, come through from Callum Ferguson, which I'm going to bring up now. Uh, and I'm going to get you guys' take on it. Of course, from the teams that we expect to get relegated. So we'll include Watford in this. We'll include Bournemouth. Um, I probably will cut the line at West Ham. So let's talk Watford, Villa and Bournemouth. Okay. No, Brighton are safe. safe. Brighton got a result tonight. They're safe. Oh, of course. course They're course. safe. So let's, let's, let's look at Watford, Villa, Bournemouth, Norwich. Out of those teams, who would you take for your sides out of the presumed relegated teams? So, Dan, I'm going to put this to you. From a Spurs perspective, who would you take? And then, Alavi, I'm going to ask you if you were a manager floating around yeah, yeah. Uh, the Premier League, who would you take? I'm going there's, to allow you to there's give one me... Ob there's one obvious one, but everyone's going to say it. But go on. Got Deluca. Yeah, so you want me to go first? It's, um, it's quite a tough question, actually. It obviously depends on the side, depends on the problems and all that sort of stuff that side have got. But like, I'm, I'm a Tottenham fan, as 
previous listeners would know. And if you haven't listened before, then unlucky. And if you don't listen next week, then shame on you. But <laughs> Spurs and Arsenal have got a similar sort of problems. So, but the answer to this question should be none. You look in the past, you know, Spurs have signed um, Sebastian Bassong, um, Musa Sissoko from Newcastle after they've been relegated. Appalling. Absolutely appalling. If you've been relegated, there is a reason. And if, if you, very rarely, people are looking at Jack Grealish and saying, well, he's a top, top player. We're going to spend big money on him. And I look at Jack Grealish and say, well, you're a good player. Now you've been relegated twice. Are you good enough for what I want? And the answer, if you've been relegated twice and you can't lift the side to finish above Brighton, you know, that, that's not good enough. Um, so really, the answer should be none. But in terms of where I think the question is, are there any good players in and amongst those teams? Um, I think there is a dearth of good central midfielders in the league. And I think the Corey could do a job for somebody. Yeah. Um, I quite like um, the fullback at Norwich, not Max Ahrens. Everyone likes Max Ahrens. I prefer I prefer the left back, if I'm honest. I think he's um he has the well they both do, if I'm honest. They have the the qualities of, of modern fullbacks and they're both pretty young and would be cheap. I'd take a punt on them. Um I know a lot of people would look to Todd Cantwell, but I don't see anything in Todd Cantwell for me that thinks he's a top six or seven player. Um Timo Puki is about his level. So and the one the obvious one that I'll leave to Alavi is a centre half who used to play for Chelsea. But outside of that, there's nothing there that really impresses me. Ryan Fraser's already left Bournemouth. Adam Brooks looks like a handy little player. Um, I think Callum Wilson's had his day. So for me, I would look at the two young progressive fullbacks from Norwich and hope that a, a, a decent manager who played an attacking brand of football, which Tottenham don't have, could do something with those. I, I certainly think Arteta could do something with those fullbacks and maybe Decore to shore up a to shore up a central midfield, I think I think he could be worth um, he could be worth a punt. Alavi, over to you. Um, yeah, when I said the obvious one, I think everyone probably thought I meant Jack Grealish. I didn't. I meant Nathan Acker. I think is the guy who I would. Uh, he's the one I think. Give him a chance. And don't forget that like, Van Dyke was at Southampton, you know, <laughs> and people tell, could he can he do it at a top level? I'm not saying. Nathan Ack will be anywhere near that, but he certainly, certainly belongs to the top 10 for me. I'll, I'll put him alongside someone like, I think he's as good as someone like Lascelles. I really do. Um, Decore, I think, could do a job for a team that stays up just based on his energy and his pace. And I take Dan's point about Jack Grealish. I, I wouldn't take him at any of your clubs, although they are just about top 10, top 10 clubs. If I was an Everton, if I was a Wolves, I'd probably take Jack Grealish at 30 million or something. Um, but yeah, the one that stands out for me is the one I originally aforementioned. Um, yeah, Nathan Ake. Nathan Ake. And, and, and he's been, um, he's he's got an injury, right? So that's been quite yeah, possible. Yeah, um, yeah. I think... You know, so, 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 and same as, same as um, ah, we're forgetting one. Delefeo, does he count? That's a big one, surely. Oh, don't you mean me? That's a shout, no? <laughs> no, no, no. It's but if you're going to pick the, because... hold on, hold on. If you're going to pick the most talented player in that those five teams, you cannot tell me the most talented player amongst that is not Delafeu. This is someone who Nigel Pearson's win rate with Delafeu was something like one point five points per game, and as soon as he's been injured, he's had a long term injury, right? It's gone to less than one point five points per game, so. 
that's no coincidence. In terms of talent, you cannot tell me this is more. And forget Jack Grealish. Delphate is the most talented player in those five or six teams. And oh, I, mean, I mean, the he's, Iranian guy. At he's, got, he's got. A, he's got. He's got. He's got footballing ability. Um, oh. But does he do it re- week in, week out? That's there's, a re- there's, a reason, there's a reason he's playing at Watford. And that's no yeah, disrespect on, to Watford. Everyone's got to play somewhere. But it reminds me of when Stoke had a blueprint of how to play football. And they signed all these talented players who, who got kicked out of Barcelona. And they wondered why suddenly they got relegated. And I made the joke on, on one of your other pods about doing it on a cold night in Stoke. But that's, that's a problem when it, every other game is at Stoke. Um, and that's why they went down. And Delefeu, for me, I mean... If Callum's question is, I'm going to presume Callum's an Arsenal fan, and his question is, you know, who would we have at Arsenal? Delafoe is getting nowhere near that Arsenal team. Yeah, I agree I mean, with that. I, I think there's there's a there's a, it's a good question. It's a great question. It's a very clear. There's a very clear ceiling for Gerard Delafoe at the moment. It, you know, on his day, he's brilliant, but he doesn't produce anywhere near often enough, in my view. If you're asking me from an Arsenal perspective. It's really, really difficult. Nathan Ake, mm, yes and no, I'm not sure, uh, is the honest answer. I've never been sure about Nathan Ake, um, despite sort of a lot of people sort of singing his praises time and time again. In terms of the fullbacks, I think De Luca's right from an Arsenal perspective. Uh, you know, somebody like Max Aaron, I think Tyler Roberts is the other one. Um, there are a couple of decent players that you could see potentially developing. Jack Grealish, I'd love to have at Arsenal. But the more I look at the way Mikel Arteta sets up his team, and I know at the moment he hasn't got the, the, the players necessarily to play the way he probably wants to play further down the line. But I think the way he's sort of utilising Lacazette in the last few weeks as a false nine makes me think that there isn't room for a number 10 in the Arsenal side. There hasn't been a number 10 in the Arsenal side for a good couple of months now. And so that makes me think twice about investing such a large amount on somebody like Jack Grealish, where maybe we'd be better served uh, signing somebody else in a position that we're probably a little bit more in need of. Let's go through um, some of the live comments. Again, plenty of live comments, guys. Keep them coming. Thank you so much. Um, Let's see what we've got here. Uh, Marble Horse TV says Grealish Decore. I'd probably have Decore as a squad player. Um, You know, I think he's got all the physical attributes you need. Um, I think he's got a lot of drive. I think he's got a lot of power. Question is technical ability, maybe, um, in certain situations. And I think that would be more evident in a team like Arsenal or in a team like sort of higher up the table who are looking to play in a certain way. I'm going to put it like that. He couldn't play at Arsenal. He'd lose the like. <laughs> he'd lose the ball every time. Yeah, I, I, I think like, oh, he couldn't play at Arsenal. Man. There are question marks about him, aren't there? For sure. Um, St. Colombo says, I take Brooks from Bournemouth. Um, Rajiv Kumar says, disagree. Uh, and I'm not sure which comment specifically you would disagree to, mate. But he says, Hull had like- Robertson. Yeah, probably. He said, Hull had Robertson and Maguire. Sometimes the chemistry between the players is non-existent. Hence, why some players can't show. Yeah, he's got their he's got ability. a point. What he's saying is like Nathan is not going to stand out because he's playing next to some, you know. Steve yeah, it's because. Um, you know what I mean? No. It's because I said it's because I I said really the answer should be should be none. You you should be if you're a top side, which is where Arsenal and Tottenham would like to be, and they're a little bit short at the minute um, after some a really poor season. You shouldn't really be dipping into the into the basement for players who. You know, I'd like to think like, you know, if Harry Kane 
or Aubameyang joined Watford, Watford wouldn't be relegated. So you've got to decide, uh, do you want to sign players yeah. who would bring the team up or players who would be a cheap, addition, yeah. a cheap addition for us? So I take but your I point. I think Robert, if you've got him, Dan, on his, if you, Dan, if you've got Nathan Ake on, on your bench, right, and you're a Spurs or yes. and you think that's not an acceptable bench player for, to come on in case one of your centre-backs gets subbed, have you got an overinflated opinion of where your team should be finishing? Yeah, and I did say there that Ake, I, le- I left Ake to you at the end there, and he he's one who I would, you know, he's the one who stands out out of that group. And and the point that the, the, the lad made there about Robertson coming from Hull, he is an absolute, absolute great point. Fantastic player, signed for five million quid from the championship. Um, Maguire, again, you know, a good player, I would say I it's think still, it's shit to be honest. I, think I, I would say I would say Maguire it is still extremely questionable if he's a good enough centre half for a team who want to who want to go on a challenge for stuff. He is so. the captain of Manchester United. I absolutely mm. hate Manchester United, but even I can admit they are a huge, <coughs> huge football club who deserve a better captain than fucking Strangling Harry Maguire. Really. The guy if is I, He's not terrible. Sorry, he just—he's he, not terrible. No, did he's, you watch the game yesterday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say Lindelof was worse. From the highlights I, 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 I think that, that. Trust me, Maguire so, was. And my question is: Is Ake going to be better than Maguire? Probably. Yes. Yes. Pro, you know, probably, but how much? You know, not by a lot. Yeah. But he can play anyway, it. guys. Let's. let's but, do you know? What, if I was an Arsenal fan, I would genuinely have wanted Chelsea to lose. Um, I would, have, I would have wanted Chelsea to win last night. Sorry, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. because like to I Harry's did, point, like we'll come. We'll you come always got to look at the, Yeah, yeah, go on. We'll we'll come on to that in a bit. Let's let's quickly finish off on the uh, comments around the players they'd like to see. Uh, Ross Morgan says Campwell from Norwich is a tidy player. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, a few of you saying that um, that Ake is on his way to Manchester City. Uh, we've got a couple of those comments coming through. Um, I'll be honest, I've probably missed that rumour today. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, Kevo Sullivan says, Ake in a back three would be interesting. Yeah, I think he's probably one of those centre-backs where probably looks a bit better in a back three where he can be be a little bit more, I guess, brave and showcase what he's actually good at, which is probably having the ball at his feet as opposed to the other stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, big up H, thank you very much, mate. And he's absolutely right when he says slap a like button, uh, slap a like on the button, you freeloaders. That's right. If you're watching this show and you haven't hit the like button yet, why the hell not? Please do. Um, and don't forget to give us a subscribe if you haven't already. Um, right, let's move on to our next uh, topic of discussion. And it comes obviously after the second-rate FA Cup semi-final. We'll talk about the first-rate one in a bit. Um, but let's start off by talking about someone who's stolen all the headlines for the wrong reasons. And it's Manchester United Spanish goalkeeper, David De Gea. The question is, and Alavi, you've been a massive fan of David De Gea over the years, and rightly so. He's been a very, very good goalkeeper. Is he finished, though? He's not finished because, look, even I'm going to admit that he's looked he hasn't looked himself in the last year. The reason I don't think he's finished is because there's no accountability with him. There's no, he's not culpable in any way. He's, he's the only player, certainly goalkeeper, I can remember for some time where 
and whether you do your fantasy team or you're guessing Oleg on a Solskjaer's uh, you know next team selection, he's the only player you think if he make he can make five mistakes, he's still starting the next game. I'm pretty sure he um Oli's already come out and said, you know, he, he's still my number one. So what he has to do to not be number one, and, and you get this in any walk of life, in it, or a job, or a relationship, or whatever it might be, if you have that just risk-free approach, right, that I could do what I want, I'm still going to be number one. Yeah, then but take... He, I do think he's got a bit lazy. I don't think he's finished, no, because I think that the same reasons that I back Louise in certain... Uh, and uh, De Gea is almost... They mirror each other in the sense that I think that they're positives... And what makes them good occasionally does lead to their mistake. So I'm sure we'll talk about someone like Louise later, but David De Gea is a keeper who, he's not like a Schmeichel or a Seaman who stands up, you know, an old school keeper, strong, firm. He, he, he sort of jumps very early and he saves quite a few of his feet because of that and he gets a lot right. And when he gets it wrong, he just look, he, he, he's just gone too early and it looks like it's a, a ball he should have, uh, a ball or a shot he should have saved. So I do think it's a style thing with him as well that actually, if you, you know, the game yesterday, he actually made quite a few amazing saves that that style permitted him to make. I don't think he's at the level he was a few years ago. I do think maybe he's complacent. I think he's maybe won quite a lot. How much more does he have um, left to win, certainly domestically? So who else are they going to bring in? Are they going to get the kids? But what from, what um, I found, what I found so interesting about this was He's played Sergio Romero in every other round in this competition so far. And yesterday, when it was abundantly clear that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was prioritising the Premier League in terms of the players that he left out, I found it surprising that when you're leaving out the likes of Paul Pogba, Mason Greenwood, who's been in excellent form, Anthony Martial, why you would then decide to then play your first-choice goalkeeper and leave out Sergio Romero, who's done really, really well throughout this competition. Mm. So that 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 didn't sit right with me. Um, but also another caveat that we should add in before I go to DeLuca is Brandon Williams, the fullback, has got away with absolute murder there for that Chelsea yeah. second goal because that is an awful pass. It's a criminal pass. It's a suicidal pass. How about Lindelof for the first across goal? The pitch. Uh, uh, yeah, and Lindelof as well. Uh, but, and how about Maguire for the third goal? That was an own goal. Why is he getting the blame for that own goal? But no, he's not. He, no, De Gea is not getting. He is. People have said. All, people have said. People have said all three of his fault. I think that. I think that he's culpable. Definitely for the second and probably for the first as well. I think he's. Yeah, but not been, the third. Not no, the third. No, no, no. No way. No, not the third. No way. But I guess the point I was trying to make is that the once De Gea made that first sort of mistake, the spotlight was on him. And Brandon Williams has played a stupid pass across the pitch, which Mason Mount's picked up. And in fairness to De Gea, he's probably, you know, he's probably looked at that passage of play and gone, yeah, I've got a few seconds here. I can switch yeah, off for yeah. a minute. And all of a sudden, Mason Mount's having a shot from God knows how far out because he's picked up a loose ball from Brandon Williams. And, you know, the, the, the defender's young and he's inexperienced and I get all of that, but he's had an absolute free ride on this. And I think that maybe... De Gea is taking some of the slack that probably should, uh, or the criticism, yeah, I should definitely. say, that should be going his way. De Luca is, I'm not going to say is De Gea finished at Man United because we know that Oli's going to stick with him. And given the contract he's on, and I think he's got four years left on his deal, if I'm not mistaken, he's not going anywhere. But in terms of David De Gea as the world's best goalkeeper or one of the world's best goalkeepers, 
do we have to stop saying that now is that done is he finished at that level yes yes absolutely he is and should he be finished at manchester united yes he is finished at manchester united how long the manager wants to pretend he isn't is up to the manager and there's a reason for it just you know your point there about switching off for a few seconds let's go back to the best goalkeeper in the world yeah let's talk about mention of a minute ago Aubameyang, Kane, this week, Aubameyang, three chances, two goals, no switching off. You're not allowed to switch off. If you're at the top of your game, no switching off. Simple. Kane, Leicester, strolling around the pitch because he's about as fit as me. Two shots, two goals, game over. No stopping, no switching off. Top-level, world-class people do not switch off. David De Gea is not that anymore. Back to the goalkeeper. I think what bit. David De Gea does, David De Gea does like that. And his next <clears> game is just going to pull off four absolute worldies, isn't it? I could and look that is through. What he's got in his locker. Yeah, but I could look through this season alone, and I could find ten goals that he's he's cost without without trying. That is too many he's for in a, front a top of level goalkeeper. It doesn't matter. He's got to save shots that are going straight at him. It doesn't matter who's in front of you. I mean, he's, he's if you're letting, had... look. Look, you've got to dispel that myth. So, over the years, there's been many good goalkeepers, people who have been called good goalkeepers, who have let in 80 goals a season. It's not the fact that he's conceding goals. People will acknowledge if there's a shit defence. Mark Poom, Russell Holt, um, Thomas Kushak, all these players who were in, held in really high regard as really good goalkeepers, even though they were shipping 60, 70 goals, will acknowledge there's a shit defence. It's still probably the, you know, the fifth or sixth best defence in the league. It's better than Tottenham's defence. It's better than Arsenal's defence. It's better than... Um, every team from position 11 downs defence. It's, it's not a terrible defence. It's just a bad defence at top level. He's letting in goals that are going straight at him that he should save. So the Brandon Williams bit, he'll get away with it. De Gea in his first season was terrible. You forgive him because he's young. Brandon Williams will get away with that. De Gea is now a top professional. This is the thing with goalkeepers and why he's finished at Manchester United. All goalkeepers make mistakes. Not as many as De Gea has made this season or last season. It's going back two years now. With goalkeepers, it's all about consistency, confidence, and the visualisation and perception of how you play. Once a goalkeeper makes a, ho a high-profile mistake, every other mistake gets highlighted and dragged through the mud. And that's just how it is. David De Gea made that high-profile mistake. He made it in the World Cup two years ago against Portugal on the biggest stage. Um, <clears throat> David Seaman made one against Ronaldinho. After that, he was done. He was still the best goalkeeper Arsenal have had. He was still a fantastic goalkeeper. He had probably been making mistakes a year or two before that as he was on his way down. But you get away with them because of you've got credit in the bank. Once that big mistake is made with all the cameras on you, everything after that is done. Paul Robinson, when he, he used to make mistakes for Tottenham, he was a fucking dreadful goalkeeper, trust me. He was horrendous. I used to sit in the stadium and look at people. I'd be like, have you seen that? No, it wasn't Robinson's fault. It was fucking Robinson's fault. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. Then he makes one for England. And after that, every single one he mistakes, the knives are out, the cameras are there, and they get amplified. That's not going to go away for David De Gea for as long as he's at Manchester United. But do you, you not know, think David De Gea does enough during games that still warrants no, 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 not anymore. No, not anymore. Because yesterday, look, yesterday or Saturday, whenever it was, he made six or seven really, really good saves. Mm, Brilliant. Exactly. Brilliant. He's made two mistakes. They've lost the game by two goals. That's it. And get a good get a good defence, and those two aren't going in. They're but, not even chances created. Yeah, but how good a good defence are they going to get? They've spent sixty million on a right back, eighty million on a centre half. That that's the defence. That's your defence. So are you good enough to save shots behind it? Because the shots have come straight at him. 
let's let's have it right. Just the goals that have gone in have gone have come yeah. straight at him. So do you want a defence that doesn't let the other team shoot because you're not going to get one of them? You don't just become bad over a year or two. He's going, all right, I admit he's gone for a long bad catch. I have only seen you two both annoyed at one opposition goalkeeper in your life, and that's David De Harry. Uh, Arsenal versus Man United, three-one December twenty. Yeah, he made a ridiculous one. Just furious, get... furious. And you, DDL, about two years ago, when you said, "Why, why are we playing against spider legs?" and you started writing to the FA that it shouldn't be allowed to have a David De Gea in goal opposite. So the only two key, yeah. the only two, two times, and it was yeah. But him we're talking about now, though. We're talking about now. now. And what I'm saying is, the you do not lose that ability no, that made him the, that good. The cons yeah, you do. are clearly now outweighing the pros with don't, David De Gea. It's happening too often. You, do, you, you lose, like you lose. We said about Van Dijk, but, just like we said about Nathan Ake. You put half a, a couple of decent defenders in front of him, and he'll go back to how he was. Yeah, but, the, yeah, but the do goal, you want to take that risk? But the main, sorry, the, the, the main goal that we're focusing on yesterday when we're talking about David De Gea's mistake. The second one, yeah. The second one. You're never going to have a defence that can stop someone having a speculative effort from 30 yards out. Yeah, no, Nobody's going to do that. That is an, a, a howler. That is a howler. There's no excuse for it. He's even got down to the ball and he's just lapsed in concentration. And the problem is that, yes, over the years, David De Gea has earned Manchester United a hell of a lot of points. But now he, he's in the minus. He, he's starting to cost them more than he's earning them. And that this becomes is, a problem. Yeah, as well, this is going to sound really about, harsh. Go on. No, go on, Harry. Sorry. Go on. I was, I was just going to say, like, we talk about, like, Alavi said it was a stylistic thing. And, and that's absolutely right. I think we've said this before. I think there are two types of goalkeepers. I think there's the modern progressive goalkeeper, which is the sweeper keeper that comes out, that plays the ball with his feet. Agile, very agile. agile. Yeah, get very good shot stopper. And then you've got the old school goalkeeper. And just taking it to Arsenal for one split second, just to make my point. I think part of the reason that Arsenal have become a lot more defensively sound in recent weeks is not because Bert Leno's a crap goalkeeper, but it's because Martinez is that opposite type where he's a big, old-school, traditional goalkeeper who comes and catches things, he plays it safe, and he f that calmness, it filters through into your defence. And if you've got an erratic goalkeeper behind you, like David De Gea at the moment, then as much as I think Maguire's shit and I think Lindelof is crap and I think... Uh, Eric Bailly is okay, I suppose. And Wan-Bissaka can do a job defensively, etc. You'll ne never build a defence around a goalkeeper who is so erratic in his form and makes so many high-profile errors. Uh, and at the moment, previously, De Gea was making these errors, but he was also earning them points. It was so clear. But now, that, that that's evening itself out and you can't afford to have a goalkeeper who constantly lets you down on the big <coughs> occasions. How long, how long do you leave it? So stylistically, David De Gea was, is a very special type of goalkeeper. He's very unique. Okay, David De Gea used to make a disproportionate amount of saves with his feet. Why? Why does a goalkeeper save with his feet? Because he dives, he dives early. He's not confident with his hands. Right. Like, like, you got like when one of us right. goes in goal, when you're like so, twelve. Yeah. You just save a good goalkeeper, feet, obviously. But, yeah, so, so he's saving things with his feet. Why? Why is he saving things with his feet? Because he's not confident with his hands. It's like having, it's like having a pair of sunglasses on a bloke with one ear. Like, you're a goalkeeper. You need to lose your hands. If you're a forward, you can lose the yard of pace. If you're a goalkeeper, it doesn't matter. 
suddenly you're doing everything with your legs. Now, you notice the type of goals he's letting in. There's been two since lockdown, one against Arsenal, one against Tottenham, straight at him. Not using his legs, can't. Can't get down with his hands. He's in a place where he doesn't know what the right decision to take is. So, how how is he gonna how is he gonna fix that? Is he gonna start saving with his legs again? Is, I do. But the point of the matter is, is he at Manchester United? Every it, like Joe Hart put in some of the best goalkeeping performances I've seen in the last ten years. There was one against Bayern Munich. He was absolutely ridiculous. He was beyond ridiculous. He was unbelievable. Look how quickly he disappeared off the face of the earth because he made that higher profile error for England in a big tournament, and everything after that went downhill. And that's where David Hare is. That's the reality of it. He's made his big error. Everyone's looking for his errors. He makes more because the confidence is down. And it's a never-ending cycle of doom that has affected thousands of goalkeepers in the past. And David Hare is just the latest in a long line. He might go somewhere like Ben Foster, who is now looked upon as a really, really good goalkeeper. You know, he, mm. but at Manchester United... Do you know what? I, done, I considered done, him when you said that. In that question earlier, I thought about would I take Ben Foster into like a top ten team as a backup keeper? I, I think, yeah, I would. I think I guess what DDL's point is is that that at times that hesitation in terms of not knowing whether to go with your hands or your legs just loses you that split second, doesn't it? Sometimes and he makes it too late. Um, Alavi, let's move on to our next uh, topic, and I'm going to let you start off with this one, and th- we're going to talk about a little bit about the semi final between. Uh, Manchester City and Arsenal at Wembley. We've covered it on uh, today, this morning, As you, if you're watching us live, uh, our edition of the Chronicles of Aguna. So do check that out if you haven't seen it already. But the question I want to ask uh, Alavi, then I'm going to bring DDO in, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the semi-final in general, is uh, David Lewis, a man mountain. For those Apologies. of you listening, he's uh, putting his arms up in the air. <laughs> Apologies for talk for Alavi, uh, a man who backed Arteta on before it even managed a game and even more so a man who has backed David Luiz for nearly a decade an absolute man mountain and what I think it shows is the fortitude of a guy like that you have to think that mental character to go from what was City was the first game right where he made those mistakes the same set players he's playing against and he's gone from that to where he is now it was an unbelievable performance and people look at stats and they go always oh, made you know 11 clearances and six it it was the how vital those clearances were and the fact that he suits exactly exactly the style that Arteta is trying to um you know infiltrate into Arsenal because he is com- whatever you say about him he is comfortable with and I saw many occasions not just on Saturday many occasions he wants it from the defender he wants it from the goalkeeper how many how many um how many passes were in that first goal? 18? 19? Yeah. He's the one who's comfortable. Don't think like Mustafi's like Franco Baresi or anything. It's David Luiz who's the only one who's properly, properly comfortable on that ball in that three. I don't know about Tierney if I'm completely honest with it, but from memory, when Kolesnac ever plays um, there, as I said, he's not that comfortable either. So I think we all recognise that he has football ability. Okay. And we all recognise that he does have the ability to defend when he needs to. But the question has always been about his character that leads to mistakes. And and you cannot question his character. This is a man who ruptured his thigh just before the Champions League final, played through the pain. A man who went and what, lost 7-1 to um, 
to Brazil and then became the world's most expensive defender a few days later. What he did on Saturday was, and I'm not exaggerating, I'm sure I'll get vilified by Mr. DDL, I have not seen a better centre-back performance since we've come back from lockdown um, in domestic football. That was unbelievable. And if you're going to criticise him, like every other pundit has, then at least give him his dues when he pulls out something like that, because he took all the blame against City. So if you're going to... I never said he never made no mistakes. I held my hands I've said he's made no mistakes. But exactly what I said about um, David Head, what makes him make those mistakes, when it goes right, is why he's good. And you take the rough with the smooth. And that was brilliant on Saturday. Everyone ate their words. It was brilliant. I, I think, yeah, uh, look... look I, as an Arsenal fan, I thoroughly enjoyed David Lewis's performance at the weekend. I thought it was spectacular. I thought, what was the best thing about it, though? I mean, we, we spoke about David Lewis a few weeks back then, we, after the Manchester City game, when we got beaten and he was at fault. He came out, he gave an interview to the press. Off his own back, you know, he came out, he fronted up, and he made a complete and utter fucking mess of the interview. He started talking about his future. I think he came out with the right intentions. But, but he, he came out. Up. But he came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He and came that's, out. that's the point I'm getting to. He came out with the right intentions, but he sort of started digging himself a deeper hole with some of the fans because some of the comments were a little bit like, you shouldn't really be airing this in public. And then he's fronted up again on Saturday after an excellent performance, which he's entitled to do. And he's, you know, the, the reporter said something to him like, um, you know, the team have faced a lot of criticism uh, about the defence. And he, he he goes, no. He goes, you can say it. He goes, I've faced a lot of criticism. You can say it, he goes. And he was, that, that uh, that's what I love about David Lewis. He said football's about surviving. Football's about, you know, it, 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 he, you can tell that this guy is so mentally strong in the sense of he can make a mistake, but he believes in himself so much. And you can only back, you can only, sorry, love and only admire the way he's brave enough to take everything on his shoulders. That doesn't for a second mean that he's the perfect defender, though. He does make a lot of mistakes. I think we all agree that he's a lot more comfortable in a back three than he is in a back two. I think his ability to progress the ball forward has helped Arsenal a lot. Do I think, as I've said before, do I think Mikel Arteta goes to bed every night and dreams of a defence with David Lewis in it? Probably not. But he's using what he's got. And if David Lewis can pull out that, and it might not always be to that particular level, but if he can pull out a positive performance on the majority of the times he plays, then he's an asset. The Luca, are, you, are we just getting a bit carried away after one performance? Is this someone who's going to come a couple of months down the line maybe and bite us in the arse again with another high-profile mistake, in your view? Well, yeah, he will. And like Aladdy says, you take the rough with a smooth, so... We've all acknowledged a couple of weeks ago that there's plenty of rough in there. Um, if you're asking me about the performance on Saturday, he, he, he was absolutely excellent, superb, brilliant performance, top quality leadership. Um, I don't question the guy's character. I never have questioned his character. I mean, anyone who gets kicked out of six clubs, um, you know, he, he's, he's going to have a lot of character. Um, you know, he put in a really good centre-half performance. Am I surprised he put in a good performance? No, I'm not. He's got good performances in the locker. I did, for for those who were fortunate enough to be on the show two weeks ago and had a DDL tactical masterclass free of charge, I did say that David Luiz doesn't look as good inside past the ball out and play for the back. I said David Luiz's best season in the last eight 
was when he was playing for Antonio Conte and he dropped deep in a three and was allowed to clear balls all day with his head. Guess what he did on Saturday? Dropped deep in a three. He was defending about 10 yards out on average. He had a bank of four in front of him. He had two guys by his side within arm's reach. They weren't observing social distance in that back three. And all Man City really could do was cross balls in. And he's in his element all day. Bang, 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 bang. Head them all away. That is David Luiz at his peak. Do I believe David um, Mikel Arteta wants to play long term? No, I don't. Therefore, do I think David Luiz is going to be in, in his element more often than not? No, I don't. So, is his costly performances going to outweigh his good performances? Yes. Having said that, he proved his worth to the squad. He proved Alavi right when Alavi said, you may as well... Steady. Um, he proved Alavi right because Alavi said, you may as well sign him for a year. The reason I said you shouldn't sign it's him for a year is, is because there comes a time you have to play him and he makes a mistake in that occasion. However, if we've now found... If we've now found... If, and that, Mikel Arteta is a very clever guy. Um, completely outcoached Pep Guardiola on Saturday. Um, we'll come on to that in now, a minute. Save that. We'll come on to that in a minute. If you've found a way... If he's found a, a game... If it's six games a season, eight games a season, where Arteta is going to employ that tactic that Antonio Conte employed, employed for a year and won a league with a pretty average Chelsea side compared to previous Chelsea sides, if I'm honest, then there you go. You've got your man. Added a year to his deal, no drama. So Alavi's absolutely been proved correct in that respect and, uh, and fair, fair play to him. Really good who, performance. Well, thank you, Dan. Do you know who, do you know who praised um, David Luiz on, on the eve before the game? Pep Guardiola. If you look uh, I think up into David Luiz, he just goes, I don't I think understand he was, why. Is this Pep, 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 Pep Guardiola who knows so much about centre-halves <laughs> that he hasn't managed to buy one um, and plays a midfielder there? Brilliant. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, Dan, uh, actually, let's go to Alavi first because I feel a rank coming on from Dan. Which I'll just go straight will, to Dan. Will be a perfect <laughs> way to... Um, did did Mikel Arteta out-coach Pep Guardiola? Did his inside knowledge of the way Manchester City like to operate play a part? Did it help him? And were you surprised to see Mikel Arteta get one over his old boss? Not surprised. I mean, I, I texted you both again saying in a shootout, eight to one, eight to one for any team is huge, huge odds. I don't, the bit I'd probably disagree with you there is it's not an inside secret now how to beat City. It's quite a well-known secret that you don't have to be the brain of Britain to figure out. What I would say is Arteta is one of the few managers who's got the balls to, to play that way to beat him. Because there's a difference between doing what, say, Burnley did, would do and doing what Arteta, Arteta did on Saturday. And if you can't, you know, it's like Didier always makes the point about, you know, people calling Italy born defensive, but they don't, they don't see the tactical now what he did. And that's different to what Sean Dice did and what Arteta did. I mean, look, I rate Arteta um, highly, but what I like that he's done is he didn't beat Pep at his own game. He took what he knew Pep would do and changed his game and I thought it was just, yeah, I, I, I like Pep, but I think Arteta could really go somewhere. And I actually don't think he'll be at Arsenal that long. I think Arteta could be snapped up in a couple of years. Do you think like Barca or Madrid one day, a few years come calling and he's going to be at arm? Um, I'm all right with shotgun Mustafi over here, mate. <laughs> it's not going to happen. 
I, I think it's a little bit. Go on, I, DDL. I, I, before we come on to DDL, I absolutely adore Mikel Arteta. You guys will know that from the the first press conference that he gave as the Arsenal boss. I, I, I remember clearly, I think I recorded a podcast yeah, like brilliant. straight yeah, after yeah. it. And I was like, I was just taken aback by this guy. And I, I've really, really backed him. And I've, you know, there have been some decisions in some games where I've looked at and I've gone, not sure about that. Um, and I think he has made some mistakes, but I think he acknowledges that as well. And it's also very important, isn't it, to remember that this is his first job. So sometimes you have to just cut him a bit of slack and just let him get on with it and he'll learn along the way. And as this team develops, Mikel Arteta will continue to develop. What I, I like about Mikel Arteta, and I love the, the tactical tweaks and the changes and stuff and the way he makes us adaptable and the way we are adaptable, but we still don't drift away from what Arsene Wenger oh, used to philosophy. call. Yeah, from the, the the values of the club yeah. and and what I've loved most of all above any tactical change and this sounds like the most basic thing and I don't think I'd be saying this about another club. I think you only really understand this when it's your own club, and that is that, that every player is giving a hundred percent all the time. That every player cares. That every player knows that their position in the team is at stake, and if they don't perform, it's gone and they'll be out. And I love the way that. Mikel Arteta has handled certain characters. He's shut people down. He's shut the press down at times when he's had to, when questions have sort of been going off in a direction that he probably doesn't want. You know, he shuts things down. He's very, he seems very stern. And I don't think anyone expected that from someone who was quite a timid player, I would say, in terms of his aggression. There wasn't really any aggression in Mikel Arteta. He was probably the most unaggressive defensive midfield player in an Arsenal side you've ever seen. So I love to see those things, probably because they've come as a surprise to me. But Dan, you fully believe that uh, Mikel Arteta did outcoach Pep Guardiola at the weekend. You're not Pep Guardiola's biggest fan, but no, the stage is yours, my friend. Tell us why and uh, give uh, Pep Guardiola a kick in while you're at it. <laughs> Go yeah, on, so there's two extremes to this, right? So the first point, I don't want to take anything away from Arsenal at all. Arsenal were excellent. Arsenal did exactly what Arsenal had to do. And Mikel Arteta, to go with your point, I believe in Mikel Arteta. I think, I think he's fantastic. I don't think he's had a brilliant first 15, 20 games if you, if you weigh them all up. But he's experimenting. You can see what he's doing. And he's someone, and there's a few people like this in the game, but Mikel Arteta is someone, when he speaks, I believe him. If that makes sense. I believe yeah. him. If he tells That's, me, yeah, I agree. Yeah, if he tells me, I don't support Arsenal. I don't, I don't really care what Arsenal do yeah. in the politest possible way. But if he tells me, if Arsenal give me money in the summer, I will achieve this. I believe him. Mm. He makes sense. He has a yeah. plan, and he knows exactly what he wants to do. And he's he's in control of everything, every situation. And even even if he doesn't believe it, he makes you believe it because he says it in such a manner. Yeah, in such a convicted it. way. Yeah, he yeah. he. He, you know, he's he's he looks like a class act, and good luck to him. On Saturday, he completely outcoached Pep Guardiola. Now, I don't like Pep Guardiola. It sounds ridiculous. I can imagine people typing away in the comment in the comments saying how ridiculous I am. But he's never really overawed me as a manager. I, you know, he's achieved some brilliant things, but you know, ninety percent of the things I would have expected, if I'm honest. But on Saturday, what Mike Mikel Arteta has done. 
is he's completely ripped him to shreds and embarrassed him. He, he's, he's exploited his weaknesses in every possible sense, in every area of the park. And I texted you guys at halftime. Pep Guardiola is a coach, but he doesn't have any tactics. The most wasted phrase in football is he's not, he is a manager. You know, you hear fans say it all the time, oh, he hasn't got a plan B without knowing what it means. If you want to know what it means, watch Pep Guardiola's career. He hasn't got a plan B. His plan A is to buy the most expensive players, control the possession because better players will score more goals than shit players. It's pretty obvious. And his only tactic is I'm going to play a higher line than the opposition. So we've got the ball more in your half. And if you happen to break my higher line, I'm going to tactically foul you, probably not get booked because you're so far away from the goal and we'll go again. You're playing against Arsenal. With the greatest respect, Arsenal have got one excellent player and a few good players a few bad players and some players who are slightly harshly treated and they're probably better than people give them credit for. But there's one excellent that player. Is, yeah, agreed. Um, I'm going to go over Bamiyang on this occasion, right? Oh, so sorry. Got one. So if you're Pep Guardiola, all you have to do is work out how to deal with a Bamiyang. And you've pretty much won the game 99 times out of 100. He doesn't manage that. Arteta sets up his tactic to suck Man City in because he knows exactly what they're going to do, ping the ball through the channel to a Bang Liang who's going to skip away to his heart's content, pass these ridiculous high line and tap in a goal, and he could have had three. And it was it was the most perfectly executed plan. Now, Arsenal, I did say in lockdown, I thought Arsenal would win, win the FA Cup. I don't know why, I just had a feeling, and, and, you know, and they probably will. But, you know, I'm not impressed with Arsenal beating Manchester City. I'm impressed with the way Mikel Arteta did it. I'm impressed with the tactics that, that were employed. I'm not impressed with the result. I said to you guys at half-time when you messaged me Manchester City odds, I said there is no way I would back Pep Guardiola to come from behind. Because quite frankly, the guy hasn't got a clue how to come from behind. Because he very rarely has had to. And he's too arrogant to look at another team and see what they're doing. He's more worried about how his own team with all the billions of pounds he spent. And we've got to face facts about Manchester City this season. They've stunk the league out. They've been absolutely appalling. Liverpool have won it an absolute canter, and Manchester City were the team who, who had to challenge them. They were the team placed to challenge, and they haven't done it. And, you know, Arsenal have beaten them, but we've got to face facts here, right? Manchester City have lost 11 games this season. With, with, they've spent the best part of a billion pounds. They've lost 11 games. They've, they've lost nine in the league. No team in the top four in Italy have lost nine. No team in the top four in Spain have lost nine. You have to go down to sixth place in Germany to find anyone who's lost more than nine. They've lost an abnormal amount of football matches. And it's because Pep Guardiola has not got a clue how to manage when the, when the chips are down. And it's not, he's a, it's flat track bully, okay, is, is where we are with Manchester City now. They are an easily beatable side by any top team and a top manager. And Mikel Arteta is proving that he's on, he's on the course to be that. And he's done it with, you know, not the best set of players in the world. But tactically, it, it was fantastic. And I'm, you look at it properly, you look at the bigger clubs in the league or the teams doing well. Okay, Manchester City, they've beaten Leicester twice. Okay, well done. Fantastic. They've lost to Liverpool. They've lost to Chelsea. They've got one point from six against Tottenham. They've, they've lost twice to Manchester United. This is not an extraordinary result for Manchester City this season. This is... Uh, a predictable result when they're coming across a team who know what they're doing with good players in it. 
So I've gone a little bit easy on Pep today because, <laughs> because no, honestly, I'll be honest with you, I am quite a respectful guy most of the time. And I'm on a show, an Arsenal show with Arsenal fans. And I don't want to take away from what is a fantastic win for Arsenal. And, you know, a, a memorable evening in a, in a pretty average season and something to look forward to. I don't want to take anything away from you by slating the opposition. But you are looking at... I think you would say whoever it was, though. Like, to be fair, you've always... Yeah, yeah, you would, you would. Yeah. Uh, you have to give... Yeah. You give DDL that one, right? <laughs> yeah. But this is a manager, you know, he only plays in this one little ticky-tacker, tick-a-tack away and hopes it goes well. To the point, everyone looks at him last season. I thought last season they were absolutely blessed with the cup runs. It sounds ridiculous slagging off the team who did the triple. But they were absolutely blessed with the cup runs they had. I think the hardest team they had en route to either cup final was Oxford, um, you know, until they got Chelsea in the final. That was, that was as tough as it got for them. So, you know, pretty, pretty straightforward cup runs for a side who has spent that much money. So they managed me, to get let, knocked out. They're just quickly, me, they got knocked out of the Champions League to Tottenham, right? And this is the important point. They won the league last season on this ridiculous run. And there was a defining moment in their league title run. And it was when they couldn't break Leicester down and the title was slipping away from them. And Pep Guardiola refused, refused to change his ways to find a way to win that game because he's so stubborn. And it got to the point where Vincent Company was so pissed off by what he was watching, he smashed a shot from about 42 yards and picked it in the top corner because he couldn't fucking stand to watch the team tippy-tapping about anymore. And they won the league by that way. Manchester City, that team has come to its end. And the only way Pep knows is to spend a shitload of money to get out of it. That's facts. Let's... Um... I've forgotten what I was going to say now. I Sorry. Lost. No, 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 that's I fine. I, we'll have. <laughs> I need more wine. <laughs> no, I was getting, I, I've remembered it. I, it's come back to me. Just the final point, because we've already run over an hour, but the final point, um, DDL, is if Pep now goes on and wins the Champions League and he's won the Champions League in the League Cup, finished second in the Premier League, are we all going to look back and say, why on earth are we criticising this guy? Because, I mean, uh, Liverpool fans, I always hear from Liverpool fans. So I've had conversations with Liverpool fans where I've said, how do you feel like, you know, you're not in the FA Cup. You didn't go very far in the League Cup sort of thing. You know, you're out of Europe. Yes, you've won the Premier League, but does it disappoint you that this team who are supposed to be, in your opinion, one of the very best, the greats, as they would call them, are only going to end up with one trophy. Whereas the, the great teams, don't they? Some of them anyway, they go on and win multiple trophies. And Pep Guardiola's sides have proven that they can do that. But Liverpool fans... We, always... we said this, we did answer this right, in the season, I think. I but remember the DDL was posed that question. Liverpool fans always reply by saying, but we really wanted the league. But can you exactly. not argue that in Manchester City's case this year, that if they were to win the Champions League... Not only would it be the first in their history and a massive moment for the club and silence all the people that say Pep's not won it since he left Barcelona, etc., etc. Add to that, it'd be a massive up yours to UEFA. Wouldn't that, I guess, gloss over what's been a, yeah, a disappointing Premier League campaign? <clears throat> Wouldn't he deserve some credit if they went on and done that now? Um, it would obviously gloss over it. Does a manager deserve credit for winning the European Cup? Absolutely, you'd have to credit, just like I'm crediting David Luiz for, a, you know, a really good performance, you'd have to credit a manager for winning the Champions League. Um, with Manchester City squad, draw aside, 
you know, you would expect Manchester City to get to the last four without a sweat. So he's got to win. Therefore, he's got to win one two-legged tie in normal circumstances and a cup final on a neutral ground to win the Champions League with the money he spent. It sounds harsh, but there's a cycle of big clubs who constantly make the Champions League semi-finals. There's only, there's only like four different clubs who've won it in the last like eight years or whatever. So Manchester City should be there or thereabouts every season. So they need the manager to you're, get you're, over the line. Pep Guardiola had in the season, though. Dan went asked what was if he does win the Champions League. <clears throat> my answer was yes. Paul, I have to just drop it for this season and start again next season. Yeah, and that so, gives him the buy for the season. I remember you yeah. saying it. Yeah, yeah. My answer was yes. My answer now is I would still give him credit, but it plays perfect. I don't think he'll win the Champions League. By the way, I don't think I don't think he will. I think. Bayern Munich would absolutely annihilate Manchester City. I think they'll lose the semi-final over two legs to Juventus as well. So I've given myself two outs there. But I think Bayern Munich, if they get past Juventus, Bayern Munich would annihilate them. And that's Bayern Munich who have just had two months off. That's my opinion. But it plays into his hands because Pep Guardiola, because what I've said about Pep Guardiola is I think he's tactically inept in match. In the coaching ground, he clearly can coach to a style. But he's tactically inept. And you've only got to look at his record over two-legged ties to realise quite how inept he is. He lost to Tottenham over two legs. How do you do that? Honestly. The way he played those yeah. two legs was VAR, absolutely... I think, normally. Yeah, it was absolutely appalling. He was outplayed over... He was outplayed in both games, if I'm honest. He, poor tactics. Absolutely appalling. He lost a year before to Liverpool over two legs. And they were about 30 points below in the league. He... He's won two Champions Leagues. One was against Chelsea in the semi-final where they should have conceded about seven penalties and, and somehow <laughs> still escaped with a win. This is a guy who cannot manage over two legs. It's as simple as that. So he's got an absolute golden pass. He's only got to play one game to, to progress. I don't think they'll do it. I think there's better teams than Manchester City in Europe. I think there's better managers cool. too. Interesting. We we'll, uh, we'll be bringing you coverage, of course, of the Champions League and reaction uh, to the remaining fixtures once that gets back on the way right here on the social club. And you can see who Julio will be rooting for already. Um, right. That brings us to the end of another edition of the podcast. A massive thank you to those of you who have tuned in live and joined in with the conversation via the live chat box. To those of you listening back later on and to those of you watching the video on replay, don't forget to hit the like button. Don't forget uh, to subscribe if you haven't already. And as you'll see at the bottom of your screens, if you wish, you can become a patron of the Chronicles of Aguna and you'll receive access to exclusive content that nobody else gets. As well as that, we're kicking off our patrons podcast where each week I'll be inviting a handful of patrons to join me to talk about All Matters Arsenal uh, on our very own edition of the podcast. And of course, once you've been a member for three months, you will receive a free gift. So plenty to look forward to. We're going to be back uh, bright and early with another episode on Tuesday morning, looking ahead to Aston Villa versus Arsenal at Villa Park. Of course, a huge game for Dean Smith's side and Arsenal in terms of their hopes of finishing in a Europa League spot. So uh, plenty to look forward to. Good night. My thank you to Alavi. My thank you to DDL. And uh, until next time, take care. Ciao. <laughs>